Welcome to the Hollow Point, your source for the latest guns, gear, and gossip, with your host, Rich Nance and Mike Barilla. All righty, welcome to today's show. This is Mike Barilla. I'm here with Rich Nance, as always. Uh, we got a good show for you guys. You know, we got uh, we're going to talk about some of the marketing behind that uh, that new Springfield Saint AR that everybody's uh, kind of talking about. Uh, <laughs> we're going to go over some of the classes we have coming up. We have a really cool guest, uh, Justin McShane from the McShane Law Firm. Uh, he specializes in Second Amendment law. He's also part of U.S. Law Shield. And then uh, we're going to go from there. How are you feeling today, Rich? I'm ready to do it, Mike. <laughs> so you know, you're a writer. You you've you you obviously you know knew about the saint and all that kind of stuff. So so what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I uh, was able to shoot the saint uh, when we were filming Guns and Ammo TV when it was uh, still top secret, and um, I I thought it it's a good rifle. I mean, it it it's a nice AR-15. Um, I was a little bit uh, out of the loop as far as I didn't recognize the degree of hype that was behind it until you sort of told me about that. Um, so, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Is it what you were expecting or? Honestly, not really. You know, um, that, that it had a ton of, ton of hype, you know, that huge marketing campaign, the, the, the whole top secret hush, hush, everything. And it's, it's a basic AR at the end of the day. I don't, I, I really don't understand Springfield's play there. You know, it's, it's a very saturated market and cool. They put some BCM furniture on it, great you know bcm's awesome but i don't know if that really it's in a weird price point too from the retail side of things you know we've we've been noticing over the last you know last year or two that you know those six seven hundred dollar ars you know your smith and wesson sports you know that kind of those really sell well and then lately it's been also the the higher end stuff you know your daniel defenses lwrc's that kind of stuff so that that middle road there is just kind of an odd um odd thing to pick yeah, I guess the uh, their their rationale was that hey, Springfield has an AR and people will buy it, and you know they probably will. Oh, I'm sure they will, and you know I, I I it from the first few months it seems like they're doing the the Xbox approach to things. You know, don't have many to send, so they're they're sending them out in very small quantities, which again is just weird to me because that should be a bread and butter gun that should be on shelves everywhere, and you're doing that you know high demand, low supply kind of thing. It's just kind of weird again. Um, you know, especially with that long of a marketing campaign, you think they'd have time to build a few thousand, you know, sure to, to get them out everywhere. It doesn't seem like they're doing that. So that's just kind of, kind of weird from a, from an industry standpoint for me. And as you know, Springfield has a lot of you know brand loyalty. I mean, I love Springfield 1911s just right out of the box. So I think that they'll do well with it. Um, whether or not it was worth all the hype or, or lives up to the hype, I guess is, is yet to be seen. Yeah, you know, um, I, I I had a few guesses to what it was gonna be. I was really hoping for a for a reintroduction of a of a double stack nineteen eleven, honestly, from Springfield. Really? You know, something affordable to give companies like STI a run for their money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, USPSA is taking off. The limited division's huge. Open division's huge. So, just having you know a, another go to basic twenty eleven to build off of would have been awesome. Um, you know, I know they did that for a little bit, but. It, I I, th- I honestly thought either that or some kind of actual duty pistol. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I I can't say that those are bad ideas, Mike. Uh, but uh, definitely not the direction they went. Huh? Yeah. So you know, it's it's kind of weird. You know, I'm sure we'll 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 sell you know whatever we can out of them. It's just 
it's kind of a kind of an odd choice, uh, especially right now with such a saturated market. Mike, where are we at right now? Obviously, I mean, we're in California, so the uh, uh, the gun sales are a little different than some other places. But uh, in your shops, what do you have on on the shelves right now? Uh, right now, just about nothing. Um, you know, California has a bunch of new laws going into effect January first that pretty much stops the sale of uh, ARs, even with, you know, many many people outside of California aren't familiar with a bullet button, but it's just basically a bigger mag release shroud where you can't use your finger to drop the mag. you got to use a tool, and that's been the, the go-to for the last six, seven, eight years. Um, so that it's not considered a detachable magazine. Exactly. So this year, this summer, uh, Governor Brown signed in a new law that basically it reclassified anything with a bullet button as a detachable magazine and therefore an assault sure. weapon. There's going to be a registration period and all that kind of stuff. But starting January 1st, we won't be able to sell anymore. Now, there'll be some workarounds, obviously, you know, some featureless setups, some yeah. like the Ares SCR stuff. But the main stuff won't be available right now. So there's a huge run on um, on ARs in California right now. Mike, let's talk just for a minute about a featureless rifle because some people are wondering, well, what in the heck is that? Um and I'll explain it, and you correct me if I if I leave anything out, but a featureless AR has no uh, pistol grip. It has a stock that sweeps back. It's not telescope, uh, telescoping. Um, it also has no, in California, no uh, flash hider, correct? Yeah, so you're, you're they, they made a list of quote-unquote evil features. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, a pistol grip, a collapsing stock, um, any kind of flash hider, any kind of vertical foregrip. So that's another sure. thing people forget about. Um, there's a few other things. But so, yeah, I mean, it is possible to do a, a feature list with like a, a Monster Man grip or like a Kydex wrap around the grip with no muzzle brake, no, sure. no collapsing stock. And it just makes it a lot less usable, yeah. I guess. I just built one of those recently. And the thing that I find is it's just harder to reach the uh, selector switch with my thumb. But still, I mean, you could use that, uh, no doubt, uh, to, to protect your home. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And the thing is, you don't have to, as far as I'm, I'm aware right now, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't have to have a bullet button on a featureless, and that's kind of the point of having a, a featureless. Yeah, you don't have to have a bullet button on it. And you um, don't have to register it. As, you don't as have to register weapon. it. Up until January 1st, you can run high caps in it, or you know, standard capacity magazines. Sure. Um, that were legally owned. So uh, there are some pluses. Um, unfortunately to me, I think uh, the, the ergonomics of it outweigh those pluses. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's just, it's those, it's just harder to handle, harder to train with. It's, it's a poor tool. Uh, the, the legislature is basically making you use a worse tool to defend yourself and defend your life. Sure. Yeah, although it's still not as bad as a bullet button. Well, yes and no. I mean, I'd rather, I don't know. It, it's a it's a tough choice. I mean, I'd rather have those uh, ten shots with the the full control of the rifle than you know be able to drop the magazine but not hit anything with that without a good grip on it. Yeah, with a five five six. I mean, you don't need that good of a, a <laughs> grip on it anyway. You can shoot it with uh, one hand. You know. Yeah. True. Um, so so you know, the, as far as on the shelves in California, it's everything's disappearing rather quickly. Not as quickly as it would have been. Uh, had the election gone the other way. Well, that would have been nationwide. So, so right now we're in a weird spot where there's, there's actually pretty good nationwide demand because people were going crazy and ordering, you know, manufacturing stuff because everybody anticipated Hillary to win. So there was going to be a big run on guns. So all the manufacturers stepped up, all the gun shops ordered everything. And now, you know, California is low on stuff just because of our, you know, our laws, but the nation's not. So there's actually a decent supply out there. What about ammo? 
ammo is another one that's tough. You know, a lot of people bought um, ammo all over the country before because everybody, again, thought that Hillary was going to win, so everybody was doing that. Um, California has some new laws on that front as well. Uh, they don't kick in until 2018, but Proposition 63 here passed. Um, but that was really kind of redundant on a on a legislative bill that already was signed into into effect. So um, there's going to be a new background check process, a new uh, um, basically you can't buy ammo online and all and all that stuff. That all starts uh, going into effect in 2018. But I'm sure there'll be some legal challenges before then. Gotta love California. Make it hard on the uh, law-abiding gun owner, but let's let uh, violent convicted felons out early. Yeah, the, let's make marijuana legal for everybody. Yeah, you know the the 57 thing was. I, I really don't care about the weed thing one way or the other. The 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 57 thing, uh, the the Proposition 57 for those who don't know is kind of building on Proposition. Was it 47 before? Uh, yeah, I don't know it? that it's building on it, but it's 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 detrimental. As yeah, well, it, it's an expansion of it, basically, is what I meant to say. So, uh, basically, early release program for they they called it nonviolent felons on the ballot and everywhere else, but people didn't, you know, no one reads into those things. Shocking, and, <laughs> yeah, misleading. Right? So, no. so nonviolent felonies included, you know, I think rape with an, you know, there was all rape, assault on a police officer, assault with a deadly weapon, all that kind of stuff. They classified as nonviolent somehow. So that it would be, um, and you know, get because there's a there's a federal mandate for the California prison systems to get within a certain number and all and and all that, and they don't want to build new prisons, so overpopulation and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, so that the, the, so not only are they letting all the criminals out, they're also taking away your right and your your ways to defend yourself. What could possibly go wrong with that scenario? <laughs> exactly right. Um, Speaking kind of of defense and all that, you know, we we talked to Dave Spaulding last time. Sure. We uh, we actually ended up taking his two day advanced to combatives class. Uh, what were your uh, what were your reactions to that class? You know, Dave's a good friend of mine. I've taken uh, several of his courses and, and uh, filmed with him several times, trained together informally. I really like this class a lot. Um, there's a tendency with people that are quote unquote tactical shooters to move, but yet a lot of times their movement is uh, without purpose. It's just taking a, a, a lateral step and just taking a lateral step isn't sufficient. So what I really, my main takeaway from, from the advanced uh, combative pistol course was uh, the dynamic lateral movement. Like you can move laterally. It's not an ineffective tactic. But when you do it, you need to explode and you explode by pushing off, you know, your outside leg and uh, and moving in such a way that you can that you can rapidly take those lateral steps. And you do that usually to facilitate your own draw stroke. And from there, you can stop and engage. And if you need to move more, then you kind of turn your body in the direction or your legs rather in the direction that you want to move in your upper body uh, like a turret just kind of focuses wherever the threat is. So I really got that out of it. Also, that. Um, shooting on the move. Uh, I've known this before, but it was reiterated in this course. Much easier when you're moving toward the target. Once you're moving back, it becomes very difficult, as does staying on your feet. Yep. And, uh, and also, um, even when you're shooting um, at another direction other than forward or back, it's much more difficult to shoot and move. I mean, oftentimes your best bet is to move, plant, and shoot. Yeah, so going back to the, the the movement thing a little bit, you know, I've taken classes, I've seen instructors teach that that basically draw one step left, one step right, and that's supposed to be your lateral movement, and people kind of kind of just 
it's one of those range kata things again, you know, where people just do that, but it doesn't really do anything. You know, you stepping three feet to the left or to the right isn't going to stop a threat or isn't going to make it harder for someone to shoot you. So this was this was really cool because it emphasized that that explosive movement. You know, if someone wants to see it um, at Trap Guns on Instagram, I got a good video uh, of me doing one of the drills. It was a quick explosive left right. You know, that that way you get that you create a little bit distant. You create a little bit of distance, and you you make it harder for the the bad guy and you you can draw at the same time and get effective shots out sure were you wearing the cowboy hat in that video <laughs> i was awesome <laughs> no uh you know that was really a really good takeaway from that course and um you know all of dave's stuff is is always real um minus fluff you know it's just kind of the bare bones what you need uh really really good class overall and again i've i've seen dave move um, dynamically, uh, laterally, and in, in other directions, uh, but but really from this class, I learned the, that it's not just because he's athletic for an ancient dude; it's that he actually has good technique, and that and that's what it's based on. And in other words, he doesn't just tell you it's important to be able to move dynamically. He yeah. shows you how you can move dynamically. Yeah, and he talked about that in the interview about that that you know no wasted motion, the whole Bruce Lee sure. kind of thing, like the j- just doing the. I don't want to say the minimum because that doesn't sound right, but the the, the most efficient way to get somewhere. Exactly, as um, few movements as you can to accomplish the task. Yeah, and the class was really cool because there's a lot of uh, LEO guys, a lot of high-level shooters in that class, uh, which really helps a class out like that. Sure. Um, I, you know, I, I really didn't have any complaints about that class. Yeah, I mean, another thing that I really liked about it was how he uh, taught us to be prepared so as soon as our foot plants, we're able to shoot. So there's no dead time. So in other words, you're not running, stopping, thinking about shooting, aiming, and then shooting. It's like you're lining everything up. So as soon as you plant in a good uh, shooting stance, uh, you're ready to go. Now, um, you know, you're also an instructor, and we kind of had a bit of a, a learning moment on the on the the range there. You know, some of these movements with, or some of these drills with movements, with backward movements, um, not everybody is as coordinated as, as everybody else. Sure. Um, so, you know, we had a student that, that, that kind of fell over in the middle of the drill. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, we were moving laterally, uh, and he uh, did not plant as well as he would have hoped, and over he went. Um, Which isn't a big deal. I mean, you no, know, the, you you kind of push yourself. It, it's fine as long as you can be safe. And he was sure. And his finger was off the trigger. Gun was pointed straight down range. Um, we found out later, which is quite impressive, that this guy is actually a right-handed shooter that sustained some type of injury to his right hand or arm and taught himself, or is in the process of teaching himself to be a left-handed shooter with you know yeah. the holster and everything on his left side. So pretty impressive. Um, I think he was a little frazzled when he got up. Not that he was hurt in any way, but just that. Um, well, you're you're kind of embarrassed, you know. You have those those that that adrenaline rushing through. You want to sure. be you 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 know the whole class, especially in a drill like that when the, when only two people are running at once. So pretty much the whole class sure. is is watching. Yeah, and and when something like that happens, if it happens to you, it's probably a good idea to, of course, make sure that that your fingers off the trigger, guns down range. But beyond that, once you once you've completed the drill, if it's safe to do so from the ground, take a little breath, you know, make sure that uh, uh, that you gather yourself. That yeah, you're in the right mind frame uh, be- before you stand up. Nothing bad happened in this no. particular case, um, but uh, yeah, you, you can get frazzled. And when you do, sometimes the best thing to do is to just take a breath, look around, and and and. and it was a good teaching moment from an instructor standpoint. You know, if you because if, I know a lot of instructors will be listening to this, so you know it's it, it's a good it's good to understand you know what happens to a student in that kind of situation and. 
be able to to calm them down a little bit i guess the best way to put it you know there's no need to rush to get back up to your feet um in a drill with other people you know obviously in a real situation you know it's a little different but um you know we do want to stay safe on the range obviously so it's it's important to to kind of maybe give a little bit more attention there one of the things i noticed uh with that gentleman and i've noticed it actually quite a bit lately and i've talked to other instructors and this seems to be something that's that's uh trending more lately than before but especially when people are wearing their holster behind their hip, they're switching their grip, or I shouldn't say switching, they're altering their grip uh, before they holster. I think because it's hard for them to reach back behind their themselves. Their wrist doesn't want to move that way. So what they're doing is instead of maintaining you know, what we call a master grip with their, essentially their shooting grip with their finger indexed along the frame, what they're doing is they're allowing their other fingers to come free. And then you have like four fingers essentially floating around there on the gun in some weird position. And one of them could find their way into the trigger guard. I actually talked to an instructor recently, a very skilled instructor, and he had a a student shoot himself holstering in that manner. And the instructor remembered clearly seeing that the index finger was indexed, but it was these other fingers that drifted from that established grip. And one of them uh, one of those fingers found their way into the into the trigger yeah, guard and, and onto the trigger. You know, a lot of experienced shooters feel like you know, hey, my my trigger finger is off the trigger and it's up, you know, on the on the slider on the frame. Nothing bad can happen, but people often forget about their other fingers and clothes and all that Absolutely kind of stuff. Is so. usually what happens. I, you know, as an instructor, what this has really reinforced to me, um, hearing so much of this and seeing so much of this lately, is to really emphasize to maintain that shooting grip because a, it's going to help your shooting, but b, it's going to help your reholstering or your holstering, I should say, to make sure that you're not going to have an unintended discharge. Yeah, and again, I'd, I'd like to reiterate your point. I think from last week, where you know, there's no hurry to get back into the holster. Absolutely. And, and, you know, this is a little controversial, but I'm even of the opinion that take a glance at your holster. You know, when you're driving, you look in the rearview mirror, you're not staring at the well, rear if you're putting mirror. your gun away, everything should be, you know, if you do use it in a defensive situation or whatever the case is, if you're sure. putting it away, you better be damn sure, you know, all around, everything is, is, uh, is calm around sure. you. Sure. And the only exception to that would be that, you know, if you're holstering because you're de-escalating, yeah. you're forced more law enforcement and, side of things. Sure. You know? and, and but in in those cases, you have a holster that's outside the waistband yeah. that's substantial and that has usually some type of uh, security mechanism that's going to um, that's going to work as soon as you holster the gun. Although I did have a situation similar to that with the old uh, Safariland SS3 holster about 19 years ago. Uh, and as this guy's approaching me rapidly, he had a baseball bat, which he dropped and is charging me. Um, I'm trying to holster and snap everything up with a leather holster. That is not fun. No, that, that, that didn't, it, that was not a quick, uh, quick no, holster situation no. there. It made it really tough. And the worst thing, you know, the last thing you want to do is lose the gun, obviously. Sure. You know? Well, Mike, uh, I know that you're excited about uh, Chris Costa coming to town here in yep. uh, what a couple weeks now. Yeah, the 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 first part of December, you know, a couple weeks now, we're we're hosting um, three classes uh, with Costa. He's going to be on the show, um, so that that'll be that'll be cool. Everybody can look forward in to studio. that. Studio, yeah, yeah, he'll be in studio here. Um, so yeah, we have a handgun elements theory, a carbine elements theory, both classes I've taken, and then we're doing kind of a, a CCW oriented class. You know, all the classes right now are you know sold out. I mean, immediately. I mean, we posted these things last February, I think, or, or something like that, and the, their demand was huge. You know, it's his only trip out here. Um, he's he's at, he's a really good instructor. You know, the, there's some. Um, everybody has their opinion. Sure. 
but I've taken several of his classes, and I think he's one of the best instructors as far as conveying information to the student. Sure. Um, his mannerisms, his ways of, of teaching are solid. I got, I got no, to I, say I agree. I've only taken one of his courses, the vehicle elements theory, but I was very impressed. Some of the most dynamic drills that, that I've had, and I've taken several courses that have to do with uh, shooting in and around vehicles, and that was by far the most dynamic. Um, I do agree that he's very good at conveying information, <clears throat> excuse me, to his students. And uh, I, I love the course. I really took a lot out of it. I wrote an article about it. And um, looking forward to, uh, to training with Chris again here. Yeah, you know, uh, so, well, that, that brings us to a, to a cool point. If you have any questions for Chris or for, you know, for us or for the show, uh, you can always email us, podcast at thehollowpoint.net. Uh, we can, you know, ask some of your questions right on there. That, that's uh, always a good way to interact with us. And today we have a guest that's actually a friend of mine, Justin McShane, and uh, I think he's going to be interesting. He, he, he uh, has quite a background. He's a defense attorney. So when I met him, I was like, great. <laughs> this is Cops love uh, defense attorneys, awesome. by the way. Yeah, I was going to teach a course out at the site, a private course for 12 defense attorneys. I'm like, this is going to be great. And then there's like this severe weather warming, uh, weather warning. So I'm afraid that like I'm going to be in this storm shelter, you know, <laughs> with with a bunch of defense attorneys. But it turns out they were really cool, all very pro Second Amendment guys. And um, I got to work on my lawyer jokes. <laughs> exactly. And we had, we had a lot of fun. So Justin is a good dude. He's um, not only very articulate and very well versed in in uh, you know Second Amendment and gun law, um, also very kind of like you, Mike very much interested in tactics um I mean, which is kind of rare in that in that field sure the dude is constantly reading he's constantly watching uh videos and taking courses to to better educate himself so he's uh, a strong proponent of the second amendment and uh despite being a defense attorney he's a pretty good dude <laughs> all right well before we get to that you know i i kind of i'm gonna have a feature segment on here i think called uh called mike's rants you know i i being in the, the the firearms industry behind the gun counter for you know seven eight years now, well ten years before, you know counting all the the shops and everything. So um, I'll, I'll give you a choice. How about that? You know uh, I could talk about a uh, choice of home defense gun or the word mil spec. What do you, what, what do you think I'm I'm more pissed off about? I think mil spec is a little more uh, dynamic. I think it's going to be a little Stop bit more saying flavorful. that word dynamic. <laughs> A little more flavorful. You know, I don't know. I've, uh, both are pretty good. Why don't you talk about the word dynamic? Yeah. <laughs> That's another day. Well, okay. Uh, so, so <laughs> mil spec is a word that really pisses me off. And I don't know if you know, I'm sure you've used it a thousand times in your articles. I'm sure, you know, you've seen it in articles. Um, when a customer comes in and asks for, for the, the main place that comes up is in AR lowers, right? You'll get a customer coming in that says, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a mil spec lower. And you know, instantly, what goes through my head is you're an idiot. Uh, that's nice. that's our friend Dave's fault in there. You know, because by definition, you you cannot buy a mil spec lower. A mil spec lower, by definition, is a select fire lower with inferior components and and parts. You know, the cheapest available. Sure. You don't want a mil spec lower. None of the lowers I sell are mil spec. None of the lowers you can buy are mil spec. They don't have a third hole. They don't have the shelf milled out. I I just I hate that word. And I and I get where it comes from. You know, you want Everybody thinks the military spec is the best thing possible. They want like military grade. Like well, in other words, they think it's 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 super duty. It's heavy I, duty. I don't even think that it, what it what it's really used for is oh I can put any upper on it. It's not a propri- proprietary lower. You know, it's it's a standard AR-15 pattern. But yeah, just say AR-15. There's by definition no mil spec AR-15. AR-15 by definition means it's not mil spec. 
and that just really I I know it's a stupid minor thing, but it just it, it just really pisses me off. Well, also they'll say that mil spec trigger and things like that, and we'll, there's no such thing yeah. as a semi-auto mil spec trigger. It just does not exist. I mean, sometimes you can refer to the coatings, you can refer to this and that, but you got to remember the military wants the cheapest possible thing, not the best possible thing for the for the main use stuff. So when you want, you don't always want mil spec. Sure, or ever. Well, you know, in some things, but. You know, that's that's just one thing. You know, the, the working behind the, the gun counter, I'm sure some people are going to be listening that, that have worked in gun stores or work in gun stores. There's a lot of things that uh, that 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 are just funny or just you just laugh about behind the scenes, you know, and that's 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 definitely one of them for me. Mike, can you think of anything funny that, that the customers ever come in and ask for? I mean, oh, man, um, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, you know, people always um We'll ask for, for example, like a, I want a piston AR because my buddy said they're better, you know, stuff like that. Where yeah. just like, come on, and where uh, they give a, a real crazy reason why they want something very specific, or they they have no idea why. You know, they they saw it somewhere, or Rich Nance wrote an article about it somewhere, and, and you know, and they just have to have it, which is which is cool. I'll sell the shit out of it, but um, yeah, that's a good recommendation to go on right there. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, so I don't know if there's been any. I'll have to do some research or some some brainstorming on that. I can I can remember one case. Uh, so you know we all carry in a, in the the store pretty much. I carry concealed. Other guys carry exposed. It's pretty common. You know you walk into a gun shop. You you have the 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 customers with their guns on the hip, right? Well, there's been only one case in the last seven years where I've been. Pre- I, I I almost well I drew my gun, but I didn't point it at the guy. There was only one case where where it was that bad, and it was. Um, one of my employees, uh, this, eh, statute of limitations is probably over. Uh, no, one of my employees uh, was dealing with a was was selling a customer uh, a taser, mm-hmm. you know, and was talking about some of the features. Uh, this woman wanted didn't want a gun, wanted a taser. Cool, sell it. You know, they they're talking about the features. You know how you open it up, the laser turns on, the light turns on, all that sure. kind of stuff. So another we'll call him jackass number one customer a uh, couple you know not related to her or anything just standing there decides to draw his taser and unlock it and sit you know ready to fire at one of our at that sales guy to show him the, the or show her the laser jeez that's awesome so that 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 was the one time where i got really you know i mean it wouldn't it, it just escalated quickly you know what i mean i wouldn't shot the guy obviously yeah, but well it's just keep your you know keep your guns or tasers or any other yeah you bring up a good point there mike um little off topic but related uh, we had an officer the other day who was in a fight with two guys and uh had his taser uh disarmed and uh the bad guy fortunately didn't know how to work the taser yeah they're not as easy as people think but here's the thing i mean if someone points a taser at you a taser is is not at all likely to result in death however it's going to incap if everything works right, it's going to incapacitate you. And if you're a police officer and you're incapacitated for five seconds, or if he keeps keeps it up, it could be much longer than that. You can't defend your gun. You can't defend from being stomped in the head. Just ask Justin about that. You know the the, the use sure. of force on a on a taser deployment. You know because sure. no one really wants to get tased, right? Well, and, you know absolutely. And it's similar with uh, with pepper spray. Although pepper spray, I've been pepper sprayed so much that uh, that you can't say pepper spray. I can fight through it. <laughs> I think I said it right. Pepper spray. I uh, I can fight through it, but um, a taser is something that when it works right, you can't fight through it. It's uh, and again, we're talking about the real tasers, not the the twenty dollar little zappy thingies. Sure. You know, 
back back in my younger days we used to tape those to brooms and zap each other with them yeah party favors yeah exactly so the, the those aren't too good but the 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 real you know brand tasers or that that kind of style is is pretty uh pretty devastating sure so that, i mean that just brings up a point and uh it, i mean it's not that different than if someone has a a club or someone knife has, or anything exactly else, really. i mean people may think people may make that distinction because a taser is not as apt to result in any kind of permanent damage. But again, you're incapacitated. Well, and bring, while you're incapacitated, especially if you're armed, that's... That, that brings up a, a good point. I wonder how that would go because, you know, in, in court cases, you argue all the time that you use the taser because it was less than lethal, it, you know, yada, yada, yada. And if you shot a guy that had a taser pointed at you, could you use some of that same defense? You know, how, how would that work out in court, you think? Yeah, actually, that was uh, that almost worked out in the case I told you about. Yeah. You know, um, I'm not privy to all the details, but there was... Uh, at some point, a taser on taser type of, <laughs> where <laughs> both uh, suspect and officer had tasers uh, on each other. So, kind of a weird one that yeah. doesn't happen every day. Exactly. All right, our guest today is Justin McShane of the McShane Firm. Uh, he's a defense attorney out of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. But don't hold that against him. <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome, Justin. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, guys. I really appreciate it. No problem, no problem. Um, so we wanted to start by kind of talking a little bit about your history, you know, how um, how you started as far as uh, why being a lawyer, why Second Amendment law, all that kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of an odd bird. Uh, no comment by you, Rich, about that. <laughs> but uh, it, it's because I'm a trial attorney who specializes in using forensic science to defend the citizen among us who's accused of a crime. And, and that's where I really began. I began in the public defender's office, and, and in the public defender's office, you get all sorts of really uh, great clients, real, right? Yeah, you get. I mean, they're good. You know, some of them are good, some of them are bad, and, and you get to see, you know, um, very violent things very early on, and some very. Uh, I would even go so far as to say straight evil people. Yeah. Um, like really people that have no limits, that have no compunction about hurting people uh, for no reason. Uh, no discernible reason. And and that's where I kind of, you know, my, my crucible, if you will, where I really formed my core competence was, was there. And then I spun out after doing a whole bunch of, of cases uh, on my own. And, and now I think, you know, my core competence is being able to tell a story because I'm a trial attorney. That's what I do. I'm, I'm a trial attorney. I'm not a plead attorney. Uh, I, to tell a story using primarily science um, that gives that great moment of pause and hesitation that leads towards that not guilty verdict that, uh, that I'm hoping for. Okay. And then, yeah, I saw you, um, using a lot of psychology, that kind of analysis. Can you, uh, kind of expand on that a little bit for us? Yeah. So, you know, I I originally became interested, I, I guess my path towards this really began from, I would say a typical, uh, college educated suburban, um, you know, guy, meaning that, you know, I would, when I was younger, you know, I, I was interested in guns. I'm an Eagle Scout. I taught um, uh, BB shooting to Cub Scouts when I was a camp counselor for a while. Um, and uh, so I was always, you know, around guns, but I also grew up in Maryland, which made it really difficult to, to, to try really California. That. It yeah, might, it might actually know. be one of the few worst places in California. That in New Jersey, I guess. But yeah. You know, the, the bottom line of it was, uh, you know, my dad had uh, bought me a 22 uh, and uh, we went out target shooting, not frequently, but every once in a while. And then um, 
you know, I, I went off to college and everything like that. And then once I got out of law school and actually had a little bit of money, um, I was able to afford my, you know, own handgun, my own rifle. And I did the typical kind of square range shooting, you know, where I'd shoot at a target, um, not move, not draw, not worry about um, anything truly, I think, useful. Um, and then I, I started to look beyond that and trying to incorporate my my passion for shooting and firearms and knowledge into my world, my professional world, meaning uh, defending people, uh, and they kind of went hand in hand together uh, in order to get me where I am now, which is I'm very big on the psychology, the physiology, the uh, the the dynamics of it all, as well as the forensics, forensic firearm tool mark analysis, ballistics physics, all that great stuff. Hey, Mike was teasing me earlier about how much I use the word dynamic. So the fact that you <laughs> threw one in there, kudos, yeah. brother. That's, that's like the biggest word you know, right? It is. Don't ask <laughs> him to spell it. Three syllables, right? <laughs> hey, um, Justin, you know, dealing with a lot of uh, district attorneys over the years, um, I find that many of them know so little about firearms that it's quite alarming. I mean, some of them may not know the difference between a semi-automatic pistol and a revolver. So I have to commend you for, for being so knowledgeable in that regard. Do you find that, um, and I know a lot of your buddies who are also attorneys are passionate about firearms as well, but would you say that the average attorney knows less about firearms than people think they do? I would go even further than that. Um, I would say that not only are district attorneys, you know, at least in here in Pennsylvania and ones that I know, generally speaking, um, they might have... Uh, the, the only time they might have exposure to firearms might be the one time that they go to the range after they take their oath to be a district attorney and they hit the huge B-27 target from five feet away and they think, oh, that's cool. And that's sure. the most that they have experience with. Defense attorneys are even worse, <laughs> uh, in my opinion, and, and, and dealing with it because they not only don't have – um, a lot of experience with firearms, and we're talking about just the mechanics of it, but most of them have, and I, I'll just be blunt because that's the way that God made me and my parents raised me. <laughs> most of them have probably never been punched in the face. Sure. They've never been in anything more than what I call a bro fight, you know, where you sit there, bro, hey, bro, and you push <laughs> back and forth. That's like the height of their critical incident scale. The most dynamic. Um, I, I yeah. think Rich calls that cuddling. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, the monkey dance, is, as some people like to call sure. it, and, and and that's the height of it. Um, and so they not only don't have the firearms background, they don't have the idea, and they and they inappropriately, in my opinion, start to second guess about things that are just really truly not relevant. Um, you know, uh, worrying about caliber, you know, whether or not the person reloads, if they had any trigger, you know. Uh, you know, uh, if they went with the, uh, you know, some sort of trigger manipulation on their on their hardware and it just becomes, you know, a large amount of this ed educational. And I take a good amount of time uh, actually taking district attorneys to the range um, and saying, hey, guys, you know, I got, you know, I got more than a couple guns. Let's go out so you can figure out what this is like in, yeah, in so the real world. It sounds like they have a lot in common with uh, with California legislatures. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There, there is a whole podcast on that, brother. <laughs> hey, Justin, you know, ghost gun and what's his name, Leon, oh, yeah, and all that. De Leon stuff. and everything doesn't know which yeah, end the bullet comes out of. 
Yeah, he's a he's a character. <laughs> hey, brother, talk a little bit about your affiliation with U.S. Law Shield, what that is, and why you are uh, affiliated with them. Yeah, so U.S. Law Shield is a member-driven organization, and what I mean by member-driven organization is that we're there for the members. We exist because of the members. As of yesterday, and I, I did check, uh, we have 214,446 members, and we're adding about 1,000 members per week. We're in all. We're active in all 50 states plus the District of Columbia, and we have formal offerings in 13 states, including Texas, Florida, Oklahoma, Colorado, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Missouri, Virginia, Arkansas, New Jersey, believe it or not, Ohio, Kansas, North Carolina. And I did ask, and we're on our way over there to California. There's some regulatory hurdles that you have to jump over. But it, no. it's, it, um, <laughs> that, yeah. that doesn't sound right at all. Yeah. Yeah. And basically what happens is members pay 1095 a month. And that includes uh, two major things that people use it for. Number one, it's 24-7 direct emergency access to me um, in our network of attorneys that we hear, have here in Pennsylvania. And we uh, respond on scene if there's a critical incident, um, uh, meaning that I, I just get there as humanly as fast as possible with both local counsel and myself. Um, and we help coach you through kind of the critical incident, whatever it may be. It may be as simple as, I hate to call it simple, accidentally shooting yourself. Um, that happens, believe it or not, very frequently, all the way from use and display and discharge of a firearm. And you will never get an attorney fee. There's no cap. There's no reimbursement. There's no bill at all for attorney's fees. Um, and it covers not only all legal things that we have to do um, from pre-incident uh, you know, pre-indictment, pre-preliminary uh, hearing, including civil law is all covered uh, and includes not only just lethal force, meaning, you know, your use of your firearm, but all use of defensive force, whether it be fists, OC spray, a knife, a club, um, you know, anything uh, is, is covered by that. So it's pretty expansive. That's amazing. You know, for, for the cost of what, two or three cups of coffee, I mean, you're having that protection, which is just, it's unbelievable to think that, um, that you can have essentially unlimited access to legal counsel in the event that you do have to use your firearm or, or, or a less lethal option. Yeah. People uh, don't realize how, yourself. you know, how expensive that is. We, we get the, 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 the main concern usually is, oh, they're going to, the cops are going to take my gun away, you know, <laughs> um, that, that's, that's nothing, yeah, that's nothing compared to, you know, not, not only just a retainer, but hold, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, just to speak on that, the last person that I had or I currently have um, that I'm defending on a non-capital, meaning non-death penalty case, um, his bill right now is north of 150. It's almost it's going to be over a quarter million dollars. And that's everything that not only he owns, but all of his family members own and everything like that. And it's it's a real it's a real shame. I mean. Uh, we're going into experts, we're going into uh, hearings, we're going on all sorts of stuff. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to join U.S. Law Shield was because I got really kind of honestly tired of two things. Number one, defending bad guys. Now, I don't, you know, I'm very good at defending bad guys, um, very good at it. But, you know, at a certain extent, you got to explain to your kids what you do. And that becomes a very critical pause in my life. And the second thing is, that I got sick and tired of basically bankrupting uh, good families, and this was a solution. I was contacted by all the similar companies that are out there 
when they started to look at Pennsylvania, because we're a large market, we have over a million people with a license to carry a firearm. And wow. when they looked around and I talked to them all, I settled on U.S. Law Shield because I said, what's the one that's going to be the best for the consumer who offers the most coverage, who offers the least amount and you get the most with it? That's the one that's going to win long term in the marketplace. So that's why I went with them. And it's just been great getting to meet all these really, really nice people and great people. It, it's so great to make a living defending good people rather than bad people. Sure. Now, can you um, can you walk us through, you know, you got a bump in the night, you pull your gun, you have to use your gun. Can you can you walk us through what happens next? Well, uh, you know, obviously what happens next is you have to evaluate um, you know, your use of force and whether or not it's appropriate under the totality of the circumstances. And, you know, Rich had a really great class with us here in Harrisburg. And, uh, I mean, it really opened up a lot of people's eyes. And, and it came, it always comes down whenever I'm in the room and we talk about self-defense, what is meant by the totality of the circumstances, right? And, and there's an old joke. The old joke is the totality of the circumstances depends on who has the better lawyer. Um, and that's very true. It, it's who can tell the better story of it all. But in truth, you know, what happens in with if you're a U.S. Law Shield member, for example, is that, you know, it, after you make sure that you're safe and you're secure and all your people are uh, and, and everything's good, um, you know, you either call 911 or you don't. Um, you know, there's no obligation to do so. It's probably smart to have someone in your family do so. And then uh, you call us right away. We drop everything we're doing. We get on scene. I've done that plenty of times already this year. Uh, we uh, assess the situation. Uh, we we politely, uh, you know, stand between um, you and the police, because when you go through a critical incident, if you've never been through one, it is uh, you're going to be a puddle. There's no doubt about millions it. of emotions at once. Soup sandwich. <laughs> yeah. And, and it is it is a horribly I mean, I've seen guys uh, that have come back in uh, from Iraq and uh, Afghanistan who are real meat eaters. I mean, like real direct action uh, rangers. And when it involves a critical incident in your house, around your family, you are going to be a puddle. No exception to that. And most uh, and most police departments, and because I defend a lot of police officers, and I take a, a good amount of pleasure in doing that, um, they, they even are uh, puddles. Uh, even the strongest ones, even with the ones with the most righteous use of force you've ever seen emotionally, it's going to be difficult. So, you know, what we always do is look for that pause, lawyer up, make sure we understand all of the circumstances and the totality of it, and apply what most police departments do, which is, you know, hands off, they don't make their police officer generally make a statement, a formal one, uh, until, you know, certainly 24, sometimes up to 72 hours after the critical incident. Yeah, so informally, I guess your advice would be the the, the classic kind of shut up, don't talk to cops kind of advice? It is my absolute advice in life because here is why you have but one goal in life, and that is to stay at home with your family after a critical incident. Because if you're going to be a mess, they're going to be even more of a mess. Because at least at some degree, because you're an armed citizen, you have cognitively thought about that possibility. And most other family dynamics, especially with kids, they haven't even, this is not even broached their idea. So, you know, from that point of view, your job is singular. Um, stay at home. Try yeah. and stay at home. And that, that's a good point. You know, a lot of the people that 
we either train or know or you know CCW holders kind of some of them think the, of themselves as kind of superheroes you know when yeah. you when you go when you go out looking for trouble or you go out um you know trying what I'm trying to write to wrong or you know that you you go looking for trouble and you're going to find it and more than you can handle most of the time uh, because the world isn't is a, is a mean place it's a very it's not a you know this isn't a pillow fight out there and same thing with police officers too they have an even greater duty you know to protect us they can't just you know fold up cards and say you know what wait until next shift well that's why i mean a ccw or, holder doesn't necessarily have that duty no. um you know especially you know you're at a no. bank someone and you know the guy in front of you decides to rob the bank you don't necessarily have a duty to to secure the bank nope. you know what i mean hey justin just totally. oh go ahead brother no i was gonna say totally you know but then you have to make your own moral decisions about because i i've been you know, uh, I've been around other situations with people who have been at the liquor store and, you know, that the person pulls out the gun and they had their gun and they were in a perfect opportunity because, of course, the bad guy isn't situationally aware, didn't see him or something like that. And he could have acted. But then the poor person working behind the counter ends up being hurt or killed. And then you have to live with that kind of survivor's guilt forever, too. Sure. So you have to really think about all this stuff and, from and, a citizen's point of view. And that's why you need training, uh, Justin, as you as you oh well know. Because here's the thing. People think, hey, man, I have my CCW. Uh, this is what I need. That's going to be the answer to all my problems. But the answer uh, to the problems, or, or I guess the question that's going to need answering, is determining whether or not it's appropriate to draw that gun to begin with. And just as the story you presented where you don't act and now the clerk is, is jeopardized— there's also situations where, you know, a concealed carry uh, practitioner will draw when he shouldn't have, and now he's endangering people more than they should be. And a lot of that, man, it's going to be a catch-22. It's, it's like case. a lot of things that law enforcement does. I mean, if you act and bad things happen, uh, you're going to take heat. If you don't act and bad things happen, you're going to take heat. But you at least have to have training so that you have a, an idea of when it might be appropriate to interject. And, and I, just to dovetail on that, I think it's essential, and this is what I tell, you know, we put on 30, 60 seminars a month at this state. U.S. Law Shield puts on, uh, you know, hundreds of them all across the 13 states that we're active in. And one of the things that we always harp on is, you know, guns are not a magic talisman. You can't just have one or hold one and everything will turn out okay. You have to think about these worst case scenarios. You have to think about, you know, your go situations. You're going to have to think about, and, and not only that, but also train um, in realistic situations. So what you, you, you'll never be able to duplicate a critical incident, but what you'll be able to do, of course, is start to get that mindset of, okay, you know, that didn't work the way I thought it was going to. And I think that's a large amount of the learning that I've come to in the last several months is the idea that, boy, this didn't go the way I thought it was going to. And it totally woke me up. Yeah, you know, and that's one of the things, you know, I, I'm big on weapon retention training, and a lot of people, Huge. you know, they may think that they are not going to shoot someone, but they're going to have a gun because they will draw a gun and they will use it as a bluff. Never a oh. good idea. I mean, now it may be that you may draw the gun in preparation for using it and decide not to based on the actions of, of your adversary, but to think that you're going to carry that and, and that's going to be all you got is to use it as a bluff, it's going to be taken yeah, away from you and shoved up, you, you can't know, where. carry a gun, let alone draw a gun without full intent to an ability and, and willingness to use it. But we did have a student recently um, who said that this, 
he would never not shoot if he draw if he drew, drew yeah, his that's gun. That's a bad idea too. It, and I told him, you know how many people I've, I've I've drawn my as a police officer for twenty years. I've drawn my gun so many times, aimed it at so many people. And I've never shot anybody. So and that's because their actions. It's based on their actions. It's not that you have this preconceived notion that when you draw, you're going to shoot. And I understand his rationale, which is actually, it makes sense to a degree that he's not going to draw his firearm unless he thinks he's going to need it to defend himself. That's fine. Yeah, but a lot but can you, happen in a exactly, second, second and a half absolutely. before that guns get out. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a whole action versus reaction, right? You know, in the, in the OODA loop, right? That, sure. you, And that's, and I think that's another thing that I think is very sadly missing in a, in a lot of people that I know that carry a firearm. First off, thank God they carry a firearm. I mean, that's a good thing. But the lack of training when it's extreme close combat, like the, the courses that you do, Rich, are amazing. I mean, sure. Thank amazing you. stuff. Uh, I mean, totally changed my worldview. Um, and then number two is the, the idea that, you know, um, that not only just familiarization, but also when not to shoot. Absolutely. Um, I think there's a lack of training that goes into recognizing uh you know, you have that initial startle re- reflex that you have because maybe you're not situationally aware or maybe whatever the situation is. You have that startle reflex, you recover and you overreact. And then the next thing you know, um, you're in a literally an armed combat because that guy, of course, reacts. Yep. And, you know, you got an escalation that's humongous. Sh- shoot, no shoot is critical. And, and, and as you hit on, Justin, that's what's lacking in a lot of courses. I took a shoot house instructor course from Phil Singleton, who is an awesome instructor, former uh, British SAS. Yeah. And um, that was the emphasis that, hey, man, some teams, we're talking about some tactical teams, um, well-known teams, would go through a shoot house and just see how quickly they can eliminate all these targets, which are all shoot targets. That's not realistic. That that's in a way hindering your ability to clear a home, you know, or to clear a structure, not a home for these guys. But um, you have to have no shoot. The decision making, that's that's so critical. As, as a matter of fact, I tell people when they get their CCW that shooting is the easy part. And let's be frank, shooting isn't that easy, especially when you're talking about a pistol under duress. But that is the easy part compared to the decision making that's involved. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we also see it a lot of times. In, um, in in the citizen world uh, where you have someone who has incomplete information and acts wrong you know you want to I don't I don't know if it's cool to mention product names but if you want to see yeah. something that's pretty cool go to the TI judgment website uh, that's the uh, that's a really sophisticated um, uh, a uh, shooting type of scenario with uh, with blowback guns um, you're talking about uh, TI outdoors. Yeah, TI Outdoors, yeah. TI Judgment. I have uh, one of those system. simulators at the shop, actually. That, those things are fantastic, yep. by the way. But here's and for that very reason. But if you go to their website, they have a guy who's labeled as a firearm instructor. I don't know him. That doesn't mean anything. He could be the world's greatest firearm instructor. And he's going through it, and he makes an absolutely dreadful shoot decision that they ask him on there. You're like, why did you shoot? And he goes, well, I saw movement. <laughs> Know? and that and that was his justification. I yeah. saw movement, but yeah. you know what the and movement does he shoot was? Everything the he guy moves? was running out the door. Yeah, the guy was running out the door, and and that just goes to show in the real world, you know, you can think about these things, but until you start really practicing them, getting your hands dirty, you know, what's another another prime example of that is whether or not to give a verbal command. 
Yeah. I mean, there are some of those scenarios, and I was with a good friend of mine. I won't mention his name because he would probably be a little embarrassed. It's not Mike. <laughs> but uh, uh, he's going through one of these scenarios, and uh, there's someone like on a platform at a bus station, and someone is, is pointing a gun at someone else. Um, and this, uh, my friend yells, hey, drop the gun. Well, guess what? My friend got shot, and he goes, I don't understand it. There's no way I could have won that scenario. And I said, you could have won that scenario by not issuing a verbal command. Yeah. So, right. But there it's, are it's times. past that point. At that, that. Sure. And like in our use of force policy at the police department, it's it, you should give a verbal command prior, prior to using verbal warning, prior to using deadly force when feasible. There are times when, when endanger when, someone else. There are times when doing that is the absolute worst thing. Just like I hate uh, when some firearms schools, firearms uh, training centers teach to always say, I have a gun, get out of the house or I'm going to yeah. shoot you. It's like, that may be appropriate, but that may be the, the last thing you want. You may not want him to know your location. And there's a, a million variables to it. Um, well, that can also kind of do, I mean, show what you, I guess your intent a little bit too, which is, which, which can go against you, right? Yeah. And what you're doing is you're jeopardizing, like, let's say he's pointing, uh, an assailant is pointing a firearm at a third party. You give a verbal command. Now the assailant shoots the third party. Whereas maybe he wouldn't even have shot the third party before. So you can make things worse in some cases by issuing a verbal command. It's situationally dependent. Or, no, or there's, you know, bad guys, you know, always go in flocks. If there's two people, you know, you've got your focus because you think the guy's downstairs. Meanwhile, his cohort is right on your same level and you've just flagged yourself. Absolutely. You know? yep. Yeah. So it's it's and, and from an armed citizen's point of view, which is really a lot of my focus, even though I do do police. I mean, you have to think about these things, you know, even from something as simple as, OK, you know, uh, what when's it appropriate to pull out my gun? You know, some guy's yelling at me. Is that appropriate? And, and some people haven't even stopped to think about that. You know, some guy is starting to charge towards me. Is that appropriate? You know, uh, you know, those are things that you have to really sit down and think about before you call me, you know, afterwards and say, geez, Justin, I'm a little bit of a GM here. Yeah. And then, you know, you have to think about these things. So let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you know, the, the, the big news, obviously, is, is the election. Uh, you know, you can't really go anywhere without hearing something about that. And I don't want to get too much into the the, the politics of it, but I do want to talk about um, what does a Trump what does a Trump presidency mean for, for the Second Amendment for gun rights nationwide and for particular states? Yeah, so Mike, I know that you're very involved in the Second Amendment uh, there in California, and I want to thank you uh, for being that involved, not only just by simply actually kind of having the courage to be an FFL these days under this administration, because as we know, what what usually would have turned into just simple um, violations notices are turning into criminal prosecutions. And it takes a brave person to maintain under that environment. And especially so in California, um, I just got, I just want to say hats off to and you. Especially someone who's a plaintiff in at least half a dozen suits against the <laughs> attorney general. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it takes a lot of courage. So first off, thank you for that. That's a that's a great thing that you're doing for I all appreciate of that. us. And, um, you know, from the Trump presidency, uh, you know, just strictly looking at Second Amendment, I I think personally there's six things that we, uh, meaning the law abiding gun owner community, um, should uh, be, be aware of. Now, of course, we're taping this on the 15th of November and there's so many. Uh, fluid things that are happening right now that, you know, all this is subject to change. Um, but, you know, I think the the top six things that we should be aware of is uh, his executive order pledge to, on day one, repeal a lot of them. 
probably the one that's going to be the most uh, influential to the common law-abiding gun owner uh, is 41F, the change in trusts. Um, and, you know, in some states it doesn't matter because you can't have NFA items. Uh, in some states it makes it for, easier. Yeah. And, and so, you know, 41F is a big one. Number two is the Hearing Protection Act, uh, making suppressors no longer an NFA item. I think that that's... Well, let's go, let's go back to executive orders for, for, yeah. for just a second because a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the stuff that, that hinders... Second, it wasn't necessarily Obama executive orders. A lot of it was the first Bush. Yeah. Um, you know, the 922R or the 922, all the whole, the USC 922 yeah. dealing with importation. You know, that's why we can't get cheap uh, 545 ammo, you know, no Chinese ammo, no Russian ammo, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, what's and, your and opinion on like these scorpions that, where you have to go through all this, you know, rigmarole just to change out a couple of things? Same thing with to the, make it an SBR. Yeah, you know? same thing with the scars. You know, importation of them, they have yeah. to import them as sporting rifles, convert them over because you can't import, you know, military style or I forgot what the exact wording in nine two two is, but um, you know, from from out of the country. Um, do you you think there's a chance that, uh, that that Trump will go that far back, or is that just so established now that that it that it's not even on the radar? That's like gay marriage, I, bro. I think, no, it's not like, I, I think that what we have uh, is everything's on the table there. From from those restrictions, uh, some of it is going to require statutory action, um, 922R. Uh, that's, that's, 922R would be in our uh, Title 18 of our United States Code. So that's going to require a little bit. But things that, that are going to impact the gun industry, especially for FFLs, is going to be ending the embargo against Russia, right? I mean, now you're going to have all of a sudden AKs coming in. Uh, I know that Vietnam recently came off the list. Um, so, you know, we're going to start to see the good old days back when, and, and we're also going to see surplus uh, military weapons, you know, being back reimported when there's a ban. I think we're going to see those types of things. Mark Garand's uh, that, 1911s and all that kind of stuff through CMP yeah, and I, others. I, yeah, exactly. Stuff exactly like that. I think that's clearly on the table. Um, and and, I, and I, I welcome that. That's a good thing. Um, so I, I think, and also other executive orders that are way out of date, like, you know, uh, going all the way back to, uh, you know, the Clinton days of, uh, you know, putting, uh, AA-12s and, uh, and street sweepers, which are by, in my opinion, probably one of the worst shotguns. <laughs> they really are, <laughs> but they're I mean, destructive devices by executive order, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and by designation by the Department of Treasury, right? And so, you know, that they have no modern sporting purposes. Meanwhile, you can go get a Sega 12, uh, you know, and that thing is, you know, pretty, pretty awesome. Um, but you know, there's some outdated things that definitely from an executive order point of view, uh, a stroke of a pen can definitely do that. Uh, and we move forward to looking at the Hearing Protection Act. I think that's a great thing. Suppressors off of NFA. Well, that already uh, got introduced into the, the House, right? Uh, not yet. Uh, you know what? I don't know the status of that right now, but I, I know that any sort of action would be best weighted. In, in yeah, I, I think they, I mean, I, by that I mean, I think it, it's written, it has co-sponsors, all that kind of thing, but it hasn't yeah, been. Yeah, yeah. I don't know been. if it's been formally introduced. Okay. Um, I don't know either. But, you know, but the, the, I think the best thing to do is wait um, until, uh, until January know, 21st. <laughs> yeah, after the 20th, certainly. Um yeah, actually, it looks like I just looked it up. It looks like that it was introduced uh, in this Congress. It's HR three seven nine nine. So we'll see see what happens with that. That's exciting, of course, especially for hunters. Um, you know, this this myth that all of a sudden it's going to be gangland style and we're going to be 
you know, if you've ever used a suppressor on a pistol, I mean, it's cool, um, but I wouldn't say that it's the most user-friendly. A lot more uh, useful on a rifle than a pistol. <laughs> yeah, yeah a combat. I, I wouldn't say that it was my first choice of a combative uh, weapon. Doesn't work well. Right. It's Inside. not like the movies. You don't hear just a. It's still. Yeah. Pretty Does, loud. Yeah. There's not, still a report. Definitely. Not real conducive to concealed carry. <laughs> no, not at all. No, no. Hold on a second while I take three <laughs> seconds to get my firearm. Although out. I, I did design a holster for a for a uh, I think a Glock with a suppressor on it for somebody. <laughs> <laughs> to each their own, and God bless them for it, right? <laughs> well, the Kydex kind of melted to the suppressor after a couple rounds, so <laughs> they're with that idea. <laughs> they get hot. They get hot. That's for certain. But and then the other thing that you know, other things that we have to be really excited about, and this is one that I, I'm extremely excited about, is the prospect of national reciprocity for concealed yeah, carry. Awesome. I, I I think that is long overdue. This patchwork of uh, of laws that you know uh, turn people from law-abiding good citizens uh, into um, into felons by crossing imaginary you know, uh, you know, lines that you can't even see. Now, what, that's what do you think? Uh, I mean, what, what would your response be to some of the, the 10th amendment arguments I've heard against that? Uh, I'll just be blunt. It doesn't matter if Congress passes it. That's it. I mean, you know, that's the law. So, you know, it's just like on the Supreme court, you know, all the, it's beautiful arguments in the second amendment, uh, world in academia that talks about should it be strict scrutiny or intermediate scrutiny it doesn't matter it's whoever can count to five and then whatever rationale you put behind it uh this is the same thing with national reciprocity um you're not going to invalidate a law that's based upon interstate commerce which is well settled gun gun law is well settled as being part of uh, interstate commerce um that is uh you know we have 926a for crying out loud that talks about peaceful journey uh, right in our, our right in our law already, so it's already recognized as such. I, I just don't see the Tenth Amendment being a, a fruitful argument. Yeah, I mean, I, I just imagine you know playing devil's advocate here. I just imagine you know the the argument that California doesn't want guns. You know, therefore they shouldn't be subject to a reciprocity act. Yada yada yada. I don't think it holds any weight. I mean, you can't you know say hey we don't want people to vote, so you can't vote or other you know constant you know fundamental rights. Yeah, I think I think. Probably what most of my contacts that I've seen that you know are in a position to know I'm not that high up in in this see that the national reciprocity will come um, in in some some form similar to this that it will be for handguns and handguns only um, and that it won't touch capacity um, so your capacity limits probably won't be affected uh, sadly enough if, if you have them in your state. And that there will be some sort of training component, either in the law or some sort of proficiency, um, standardized type, of, type test or something. Yeah, it's something like that. Um, so I think that's what you know, some sort of three-hour required course. I think those are the things that most people see happening. So, yeah, so just know, being a resident of Arizona, like a constitutional carry state, doesn't won't necessarily give you carry everywhere. I don't think there's any discussion at a national policy level that is going to say national reciprocity is going to equal constitutional carry. Yeah. I, I just don't that's see a, that. That's a little bit of a stretch and a little harder to to justify, I think. Yeah. Not that I don't agree with it, but, you know. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's 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 like the candidate himself. I, you know, whatever your worldview is, I think it's, it's interesting and instructive to see 
there's people that don't like him that are conservatives and people that certainly don't like him that are liberals. He's very pragmatic. Uh, there's no other way of explaining that that candidate Trump and now President-elect Trump. I think the the way that he's going to go forward is pragmatically, and and um, and I and that's what I see. And the other ones that I see that are important, I think, are the Gun Free School Zone Act. I think that's in some serious trouble. Uh, I think uh, first off, it was overturned in the Lopez case and just readopted. And interestingly enough, the person who introduced that was then Senator Joe Biden. Um, mm. So I wonder if there's some sort of uh, personal twist there. Um, Might be a little personal kick in the butt, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, maybe. With all those memes or memes or whatever you call them that are out there right now that you see on Facebook with him talking. Yeah, yeah. but, you know, and and allowing uh, uh, people on military bases um, to to carry. Long overdue. Long overdue. Way overdue. That just doesn't make sense. I think even even anti-gun people would think that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, you also and then the other two big ones that you have to think about is a, a telltale sign of which way we're going to go are two key appointments. It's going to be who's going to be the head of the DOJ, meaning who is the actual attorney general and who are going to be the deputy attorney generals. And then number two is who's going to be the head of the ATF. Um, and, and I think that what we can glean from that is uh, a big I think the biggest supporter behind the scenes, the Second Amendment not so behind the scenes, but not mentioned that much is Eric Trump. Yeah. Um, he is huge uh, on on Second Amendment side, and him being on the transition team, him being the he really does have the ear of his father. Um, I think that he's going to have a large input in that, which would be really great for us. Yeah, and then you have to you have the Supreme Court too, which is another. Yeah, Supreme Court's going to be huge. I mean, that um, to use Trump's word, huge. Uh, the it's gonna be amazing. Everything amazing. Tremendous. Gonna- Braggadocious. <laughs> so there's a there there's you know one obvious opening. Um, there's probably gonna be a couple more. Let's be honest. They're yep. they're they're getting up there. Um, I yep. think Ginsburg wanted you know um, Justice Ginsburg said she wanted to retire, but I think this election might. I don't know. She might try to last another four years. Um, I think she has to maybe last two, um, because if the Senate turns Democrat. They won't get a confirmation. I think if I was her, I'd be looking at I I can hold on for two years. If I was if I was her. Yeah. So you know that that kind of changes things a little bit. But just that that to just to get that fifth vote is is in, incredibly important. Um, you know, I've heard some names floated around, but that that's probably going to have the biggest impact on on Second Amendment, at least in my, in my opinion, because uh, a lot of these cases that are kind of held at, at district courts or, you know, no one really wanted to push them forward when, when before, let alone now, you know, when it's 4-4. So, you know, there, there's a lot of good cases in the pipeline that I hope will get up there in the next uh, year or two. Yeah, so, you know, you, you mentioned that, and we have a lot of new, as as us wonks would say in the in the Second Amendment world, as applied challenges, meaning that what we do is we sit down and say, look, that might be the rule, that might be the law, but as applied to this individual in their particular circumstances, it's totally disproportionate and therefore unconstitutional. Yeah, it's like all the carry cases, you know, between Peruta and all, you know, in in the Ninth District and uh, I forgot what your your case in the third was, but, um, you know, between all those, it's going to be kind of... Um, that's got to be decided soon because there's not only a district split, but it's it's all over the map. 
Yeah, and you know the one-time uh, civil commitment, involuntary civil commitment, does that disable you 30 years down the road? You know that's a that's going to be have to be settled by uh, Supreme Court. The even though we had both sign in the disappointment, I think there from uh, the the misdemeanor crimes of domestic violence um, outcome, where even reckless, non-intentional contact um, could be considered now uh, disabling. Um, you know those things can be back on the table again. Uh, with the right facts. And and as all lawyers that do this at a higher level will tell you, we need great facts. We need great facts because bad facts make bad cases. Um, so, you know, uh, that's, I think, what most people in this community are looking for, are those great fact cases. Yeah, I think, I think Alan Gura's mouth must be uh, watering right about now. <laughs> so, okay. The, uh, awesome. So, you know, U.S. Law Shield seems like a, a great source for protection from, you know, for these kinds of things in, uh, in those states you mentioned and all across the country. So if people, uh, people are interested, it's uslawshield.com, correct? Um, and we got a special actually code for the listeners. Um, if you use the offer code, Justin, you get uh, 14 months of coverage for, for the price of 12. Uh, you know, a lot of great benefits there at, at, uh, at us law shield. And, uh, is there anything else you want to want to plug or your contacts or anything like that? Uh, you know, the only thing I, w- I would do is, uh, you know, thank all your listeners um, and also uh, yourself, of course, and, and, and Rich. Uh, you know, this is, you know, I remember just even a couple years ago, you know, saying that you were a law abiding gun owner was, you know, almost like taboo. Right. And now it's swinging the pendulum swinging the other way. And, and it's all because of all of us working together um, and, and heightening that that education and talking about these things and, and not shirking away from it. And, and it really is uh, responsible gun owners that are, are gonna help us all. And I just wanna say, um, the only thing that I'll plug is, if, is, is that you have to get training. There's no doubt about it. You have to get protection, uh, whether it's with US Law Shield, I hope, or another organization that uh, you need to get that. You need to get yourself armed and educated you need to go to great stores like yours, Mike. I've heard by way of reputation that, you know, you're not just going to put someone over at a $3,000 STI or Wilson Combat, you know, firearm, um, and then they're going to be disappointed. Um, you know, uh, you're going to put them over towards what is going to be useful. And those places are, are rare, you know, and we need to support places like that. Um, and so we need to support each other. And that's why we got, I, I would suggest if I could, where we are right now after this election is because we all work together and we need to continue to do that and uh, and and keep on being law-abiding gun owners. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Justin. Great to see you again, brother, or talk to you. <laughs> yeah, you bet. All righty. Thank you very much. Uh, that wraps up the show for today. Uh, you know, check us out next week. We've got a lot more, uh, a lot more stuff coming for you. Uh, it's at THP Podcast on Twitter, facebook.com slash the hollow point podcast. Please email us questions, uh, comments, anything podcast at the hollow point.net. And uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>